Welcome to the Collective Nightmares podcast. I'm Marshall. And I'm Laura. And horror films are our collective nightmares. Laura and I have PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado Boulder. Our podcast is a sociological perspective on horror films. You can check us out on Instagram at Collective Nightmares, Twitter at Collect Night. We do new episodes every Thursday. We have a Patreon page where there's exclusive additional content. We have more of that coming in October. We are half an hour away from October 1st, which is Halloween season officially. Halloween all year round for us. But So we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, review. And if you will subscribe to us or contribute to us, we'll send you stickers. We just watched The Night Shifter, a Portuguese horror film. It was screening as part of a satellite companion to Fantastic Fest here at Alamo Denver, which is awesome. They said it should be available online places at some point. We got to see it here, and we got to support them showing something different, and we were pretty excited about that. It is a film directed by Denison Romalo, written by Claudia Juvin, Dennis Romalo, Marco de Castro, And, all right, and the synopsis from IMDb is Stenio, the night shifter of a morgue, has the ability to communicate with the cadavers that are brought to him every night. And horror ensues. Uh, (laughs) Spoilers in this episode for the film we watched, The Night Shifter, and for Hereditary in particular. Everything else, I think, is just a mention or nothing specific. If at all possible, we totally encourage you to check out the film before you listen. There will be massive spoilers throughout the whole episode. And with that, let's dive in. I really liked it. I really liked it, and I have some ideas of what I thought the overall point they were trying to tackle was. And I think it was a fairly lofty one, and they did it fairly well. And yeah, I just I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons. Although I will say it was it was unpleasant to watch. In a maybe a way that horror tries to be. I feel like I shouldn't critique it on that, but it was just, it was gruesome in a very authentic way that made it really unpleasant to be in the room with him because the the gore wasn't gratuitous or over the top, and that made it worse because it felt real. And the interpersonal dynamics that were going on through the whole movie were sad and depressing. And so a lot, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience, but I think it got a point across fairly well and was artistically well done. And I really, I enjoyed it for all of that. I agree. I, I thought it was excellent all, all around. I'm very curious to hear what you think the overall point was, because oftentimes that's my approach, I feel like, to films. And I don't have any thought on, on a larger social commentary this time. I agree with you that the, everything was done just really solidly well characters were great the 
gore or the effects, like you said, were very realistic and practical. And I really felt immersed in a world that was realistic, even though it was fantastical. And I thought the acting was great. Lara, in particular, who was played by Bianca Comparato, and Stenio as well, who was played by Danielle de Oliveira, I thought were just fantastic. And I also have to say, I think the sound was incredible. I think the sound was m- maybe, maybe yeah, definitely the best sound design and use of music of a film I've seen this year. I would have to think back to uh, Black Coat's Daughter, maybe, would be the last film I can think of that had had sound as impressive as this. Effects, music, the design of the voices of the cadavers, uh, how it was used to signal which world you were in. Uh, It was all just incredible. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. I don't know if I would say I was ever super terrified, but I definitely had some good moments of suspension and dread and... Yeah, it was it was it was impressive, but it was different. It it had a different mythology, and it tried to and it built a mythology, all in all in a, on a film, really effectively. Absolutely, I mean, it was unique, and what you said about the dread is interesting because I noticed that also that at times, I would notice there was a scary moment, and then think, oh right, it's supposed to be a horror movie. It's not just about horror in a more like abstract kind of way, you know, because it was so off-putting in a horror kind of way, the whole thing was, but in a way that felt very real. It didn't feel like Boogeyman in the Closet. It felt like Boogeyman in your life kind of feeling. So it was almost startling then when like somebody jumped out at you or something creepy happened or I noticed actually being a little bit afraid, which was a different experience for a horror film. I feel like it was actually very low on the horror scale for technically yeah being a horror movie but it felt to me a lot more about the interpersonal stuff that was going on that was all very unpleasant yeah i i would agree with that for whatever reason i keep thinking of hereditary and i keep thinking this the tone of or the this film accomplished what i think hereditary wanted to and didn't at least not for me. I know people loved Hereditary and thought it was terrifying. You, by all means, listen to our episode. We did an episode on it. It was fine, and we appreciated the effort. That's what I remember, but it never quite got there. And I thought this was there from the beginning to the end. It's uh, really interesting. I think you're exactly right on. It was when I was going to talk about sort of the overall point. I think you're exactly right that it accomplished a lot of the things Hereditary, I feel like, was trying to do maybe 17 different things at once, but one of them, at least, was what this film did, and this film did it so well. I think you're exactly right. Can I, I want to take one more little diversion before we Please. get into what I think the point of the yeah, movie was about, yeah, and just say that I wish the guy that was introducing the movie didn't say what he said about the effects at the beginning. He said something at the beginning about, like, when the effects start, just you know, just roll with it or something. And I expected it to be tacky in some kind of way or like that there were going to be these badly done effects so you were going to have to stomach them somehow. And it took me maybe 15 minutes before I just dismissed whatever he said and thought, what is he talking about? Like the effects are spectacular. Like they weren't 
I went into it from the beginning thinking, I'm not going to like this. It's going to be somehow over the top, like dramatic bad effects in some way. Like Mandy. <laughs> how many times can we bring up how bad Mandy was in this podcast? We, this it might be a lot. There's probably going to be spoilers in this episode for Mandy, too. Not if there's anything to spoil, but. <laughs> I just wish I didn't have that impression at the beginning of the movie because this, the effects were spectacular. There was no reason to put in my mind that there was going to be a problem with the effects. They were, yeah. they were great. They I mean, weren't even, they weren't noticeable, which was perfect. I don't actually understand what that comment was about. You're right, because like you said, it was it was solving a problem that didn't exist. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, and so, then making me think there was a problem, but it really it took a while to dismiss that. So that was unfortunate. But can we talk about what I what I think yes, the movie was about? I'm e- eagerly awaiting. T- so uh, I think you're right on with comparing it to Hereditary in that it was all about messed up interpersonal dynamics and. I, if I can if I can hold this thought together, I think there were like two different trains of what was going on. One was misplaced love, the kind of bad reactions that people have when like love is what you're really feeling, but because that's somehow getting stepped on and you have an ego and you're afraid and you're whatever, you you lash out with some other emotion that's not the real emotion that you feel, and then all these consequences follow because instead of just acknowledging how you really feel and admitting it and acting on that actual feeling you act on the like bad cover-up feeling and you know i i feel like we saw a lot of that play out through the movie like with uh what was stenio is that his name you know obviously with him and his wife that he he loved her he wanted to be with her it seems even though maybe that was not the best decision on his part but he appeared to um and what ended up happening is that he ends up you know, killing her and ruining his life with his children and just ruining kind of everybody all around them. And she, you know, in the same, she, she was kind of doing the same thing. And in her case, I would say it was not acknowledging how she really feels instead of being willing to live with whatever the emotional life that she actually had, which apparently she's in love with this other person, which it looked to be true because as soon as he was going to leave her, she like flips out and wants right. to be with him. And, um, you know, and she loves her children too, apparently but whenever she's around them all she's doing is screaming at them and saying she hates them i mean basically yeah but you know she's got their names on her neck and and i believe by the end by the end you know she wants her children with her and they're kind of this bargaining chip and i it's like even though probably what was underneath all of that was actually love probably i mean in in some various different forms it's like she didn't know how to act on that and so she acted on all these other cover-up emotions and even in his behavior so you, people coming into the morgue, right, they have to be honest, I guess. Or they don't have to be, but they have nothing to lose because they can't act anymore. And so why not just express their true feelings or what's really going on? And so they share things with him about, you know, things, what they really did. Or, you know, the guy saying he killed his father and now he's going to go to hell or whatever. They're sharing things that they didn't feel comfortable, that they spent their life apparently kind of covering up and lying about and hiding and whatever. And now they can just lay it all out, but they can't do anything about it. And you've got him, all of the characters really that are alive in the movie who are in a position where they could do something about their actual feelings and what they want and like build the life that they maybe want, but they don't do it, but they can't take the action because the action is so scary or awful or something that they're like paralyzed by that. And so they just act on all of these other, I guess they just kind of crappy cover up feelings. So it's like the people who are in a position to actually do what they maybe wanted to do or make the life that they want 
don't. And the people who can't anymore now suddenly are in touch with how they feel or what they want, but it doesn't matter because there's no, there are no stakes because they can't do anything about it. So I feel like you just saw the dysfunction of that playing out from all of the characters, really, except for Lara. She was the character who didn't evidence any sort of struggle. And I actually, we can talk about that maybe more when we get to like character continuum. That actually bothered me that she was so sort of angelically presented. She had no problems. And you could say, well, maybe she's doing the right things in life to deal with her own. She's lived a life that where she has just been kind of true to herself or however you want to say it. She, she hasn't done all these sneaky side routes. You know, even even the way that Stenio, the way that he ends up killing his wife, right? he can't even take the action to do it. But he can't even take the action to do that. He decides he wants it done. So he does this sneaky backhanded way to try to get it done without him actually having to do it, which backfires in a million different ways. And it's like, people not being able to like follow the path that they sort of should be on leads to all these disastrous consequences. And she was our counterpoint as in that she didn't seem to have those disastrous consequences, but she also was totally vapid. She had no personality or struggle or interests or anything. She was just there as the look, she's fine. And I, I didn't like that really. I would like to have seen her mm. as a counterpoint where she had some sort of struggle, but dealt with it differently. And so her life wasn't a train wreck all around her because she was dealing with it properly and then you saw all these people who were not dealing with their emotions and their needs or whatever it is kind of for different characters it was like different things but they're not dealing with that right and so then it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face or something right in order to save some little thing that they don't want to they don't want to experience this and so they end up just blowing up the entire world instead i think that's great i like those ideas and so can we tie those two together? Can we tie what if we have dead folks who can no longer act on the things that they can do? All they can do is share. And now they are sharing honestly. And we've got, as you said, folks who could still do something, but nobody does or could deal with people honestly and share and don't. The message is, uh, the message is you, you need to share and be honest while you're alive. Is that just as straightforward as it? Maybe that I kept thinking something along those lines. And I don't know if it's like, if honesty is exactly the right, maybe it is. It's like honesty slash maybe having the, I don't know what the guts or something to actually acknowledge how you feel and what you're doing and take steps to address that rather than, you know, rather than like the way that he kills his wife, right? And not that again, killing your wife is not the best example to use for something you're trying to accomplish. But even <laughs> so, I think there was a reason that he did it that way. He couldn't address this through his own actions in his own life. And so he takes this convoluted route where he doesn't have to actually do it and he doesn't have to face any consequences and he doesn't have to own up to it. He can just go home and be like, oh, how terrible. I didn't want that to happen. And and then what ends up happening is five times worse than what he was even intending in the first place. I guess I should say he wasn't trying to kill his wife. He was trying to kill the other guy and his wife just... That's very interesting because throughout the film, he does not act. He doesn't kill his wife directly. He doesn't confront her. He doesn't confront the baker. And I guess we should say, because I, I made the mistake there, that he wanted to kill the baker, not his wife. Right. And but so, he still didn't go kill him. Like, right. exactly. Your point still stands. Yeah. Yeah. 
he didn't he wouldn't kill Lara. He didn't discipline his kids. So smaller actions even. Uh and there was one more. He didn't he wouldn't kill he wouldn't kill uh his wife. What is her name? What was her name? Uh, Odette. Odette. At the very end as a spirit or a demon or whatever it was. And so he is really passive. And I we break out characters, which I guess we're doing character continuum now. So he is he's ultimately passive, right? He he I I wonder if Stenio as a root word has anything to do with like writing, like stenography. Like he's a he's the scribe, he's just the messenger. He doesn't ever he doesn't ever act. And I also have to say I love I don't think that's how it is how it's used, but I think Odette is a great name to be to use as like someone who owes a debt. Like you could call you could name someone Odette and it would I don't think anybody would ever put that together. All right, that's an aside. Um, Can I jump in yeah, with two please. things just on that? Yeah, yeah. One, also, in, this isn't him acting, but sort of it is. When he's sitting at the table with his kids, even, and he starts trying to talk to them about something and they won't listen to him. And then, you know, he's hurt that they won't talk to him because he loves them and he wants to connect with them. And so he screams at them and tells them how terrible they are. Like, he constantly did that sort of thing where it's like, whatever he was really feeling or really wanted to convey or really wanted out of some interaction, he he wouldn't express that like he wasn't able to be I don't know if that's honesty exactly or openness whatever it is he would just always resort to this other I said crappy kind of cover-up emotion yes and I agree with you with this this whole masking of emotions is interesting I'm still stuck on whether or not he he does anything behaviorally and i feel like at the dinner table he's still only talking like he doesn't ever he barely ever even like hugs his kids there's he doesn't like he he doesn't ever touch or work with anybody that's true other than the bodies the best he does i guess is go dig up orchestra well i was gonna say orchestrate the killing of the baker yeah but again that's all just through talk he doesn't i mean yes he can set things in motion by by sharing this information, he doesn't do anything. And then I was thinking, Lara, I think, uh, I, I was trying to decide if I do think Laura does things. And I guess Laura do, L- Lara does things because she, she I, I mean, she's more passive about it maybe than I want her, I would like her to be. But she is the actor, Right, she steps in and says, "Look, I, I know you." Essentially, she says, "I know you need help with the kids." I, I, I'm of all this other things going on. She's the one who confronts. No, she doesn't confront. I I don't know. I don't know if she's an actor or not. I don't really think she. I mean, the only person she engages with a lot is her mother, who's in a coma, and they make a point to say that yeah, she doesn't even know you're there. Yet she goes and spends time with her. And not that there was nothing wrong with Lara, but I don't... She did take... She took care of the kids. That's important, but we never saw it. We just knew it happened. Yeah. We never really saw her make a decision. And she was acted upon, you know, when she's sitting on the bed talking to him and saying, like, you know, it wasn't my fault, and my dad did this, and I lost the bakery, and blah, 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 whatever. Right. She's not... She's pretty passive, too. 
she is pretty passive too. She's not a, I think I wanted her to be active. So there'd be a point of comparison. I can't, I don't know if I really think of, I don't think there is anyone who's really a proactive. Oh, that's like reactionary active. She's active again in that same sort of covered up emotion kind of way. Like she, she acts on the wrong emotion. Yeah. And I mean, she acts, but it's like, it's all surreptitious. It's all behind the scenes or I can't, I guess surreptitious word. There's another word I want there that I can't think of. It's all uh, clandestine. Yes. And, uh, and, and she even, she doesn't really tell the baker until he's going to break up with her. She doesn't tell Stenio. Like you said, she doesn't really address the kids. Yeah, it's it's a, just a morass of bad interpersonal interaction. The other thing I'd like to say about Odette and Lara, which since you said that is, you said that Lara is presented as so innocent like, or yeah, something. Yeah, angelic. Angelic. Just... And so that made me, I mean, that means that she is virgin and Odette is whore. She's Madonna and Odette is whore. Yeah. Which is very, I mean, Brazil is a very Catholic country, right? And that that was the dichotomy that I tried to search my brain for, for like the entire episode of Jennifer's body and never came up with it. Yeah. If you remember that. But yeah, so then, because, so then, because she is the whore, she's out, you know, the neighborhood's calling mom a slut and she was cheating on her husband and Lara, there's never any, I mean, she's a very attractive actress or woman. There's no, even though she steps into this motherly role, there's no sexual component to it. They barely, they hardly even touch Lara and Stenio. And the only time there is this sexual interaction, it's when she's been repossessed by Odette and that means the only two women characters in the whole film are Madonna and Whore, which means they're just flat characters. They're just used symbolically, and we don't learn anything else about them. Odette likes a song, and Lara goes and visits her mom. It's really, I was disappointed that mom being in a coma didn't have some other use than when she dies, she warns Stenio away. I thought, okay, she's in a coma. That's kind of a limbo ground between, you know, death and life. And maybe when he goes to visit, she'll do something. And even Lara, it comes out of near death experience and is, that means she was susceptible to, I don't know. I just, I thought there was something more that could be done there. That's not, it's not a huge complaint. It didn't like ruin the movie for me or anything. Uh, but I was a little bit disappointed that, that mom in the coma didn't have something more. That wasn't a little, something more to that. I agree with you on that. I do think though, in terms of your critique of Odette, not having more to her character, I think she and Stenio were very comparable. So I think she wasn't just being like played off Lara you know, as far as I don't think so. I think because I think it was like because because 
I mean, the whole thing, it was like, because nobody could deal with their stuff well, <laughs> right? It just kept blowing up everything around all of them. And I thought there was something really um, meaningful, I guess, at the end when he says to her, let's go. And they walk out, like they leave at the same time. Like, like they both left the family, you know, left their kids, left all the people around them and people that they care about. Basically, they're both left with nothing, not even really each other. But they're sort of stuck with each other in a way, as in they have to follow the same path together, but they have no connection anymore because they messed that up also. And so I think they both they both engaged in the same kind of bad behavior. It was a little bit different, right. but it was the same kind of thing. It was not actually acting on how they feel and not communicating how they feel and not in being inactive. And so they're left at the end to walk the same path alone, basically, alone but together, you know. Yeah, I think that's great. And I like that. I could see that as an allegory for or a metaphor for breaking the cycle because then they're kids. And then I was that made me think that Edson, the boy. I was also disappointed that the daughter, Sisa, she didn't do anything. She like barely spoke the whole movie. Edson, however, was doing things. And but I was thinking that Edson is honest kids are at least honest with their feelings, right? Edson in particular, dad, you're a hypocrite. You come home in a cop car. I don't like he confronts him directly and he's angry or he's sad or he's, I mean, he's lashing out, but he does at least try and be like, he does at least have this honest confrontation with his dad. He, you know, dad, you're a liar, this and that, whatever is going on. Um, so maybe there is some sort of like you said like okay now that these toxic parents are out of their li- out of their lives maybe Edson and Cisa have some hope with Lara. Lara didn't ever do anything deceptive, did she? No, that was the thing. It's like Lara didn't do anything. You got the impression so she's neutral. I think so. And yeah, I think from her demeanor she apparently wasn't destroying everything in her life. She didn't seem that you know she didn't she didn't seem like she brought chaos with her whereas everybody else did and so that's good but I I would like to have seen her really just have to struggle with something differently to see how yeah. how she did it differently such that because I don't want the message to be like, some people are just train wrecks and some people have wonderful lives like you want to see that those people with wonderful lives like did something to get there and that it's not that you don't get crap thrown at you like everybody else but that you somehow navigate it differently I wanted to see her navigate something. And the only thing she really navigated was her mom in a coma, which was not an interaction at all. So she didn't have to do anything other than show up when somebody didn't even know she was there. And she loved. She was she was loving for the kids. She loved the... she. It just felt too too much like a stereotype and, and not... Yeah, I agree. The, if she would have had some kind of struggle, uh, a secondary plot point, something small even, other than she has to ride a bunch of buses to go visit her mom. I, I agree. That would have emphasized her as a non-toxic person, not just a neutral person, and it would have developed her character. Or There's another piece in there where throughout the film, there were these snippets on TV or on the radio about these huckster religious evangelical there was this exorcism on tv and there was we will save you and and laura tries to get 
Stenio to go to her pastor, her church, to be exercised. And so they made a point of not bringing religion into it, which I thought was interesting. And I wonder what that means, or I wonder if that means something with regard to how we understand Lara. But I very, what I would like to take away from that is religion's not going to solve your problems. A bunch of charlatan preaching is not going to get rid of your demons. You actually need to confront things yourself and approach your problems yourself and realistically and deal with them. And I don't know if that is totally there, but I think maybe there's an argument to be made. It would, I think that argument would be better if Lara didn't try and get Stenio to go to the church. But I like that a lot. And I think you're right that the pieces were all there to tie that together, except what you're saying about Lara. And maybe that just means that Lara really wasn't the counterpoint you know, maybe it was about these other people and what not to do, and maybe she was more throwaway as a character than we took her to be. Yeah. I mean, it, it's true. It seems strange to have a, have a movie where all of the characters have the same types of problems going on, and they're messing up their lives in the same kinds of ways, and then to have somebody who's not, and have that not be... Like like I was saying that I wanted her to... I wanted to see her undergo some sort of struggle because then she would be prescriptive. Like, instead of the message just being, don't be like this, it would be a little clearer, like, don't be like this. This is kind of a better direction to take, which would have felt like it tied that together better. But they didn't really do that with her character, which certainly ties into what you're saying about the... Yeah, I did think that was very weird, that piece where she's like, yeah, why don't you come, come to church with me? They can help get rid of your... It didn't fit, really... So yeah, maybe she wasn't. Maybe, maybe she wasn't meant to be the counterpoint. Maybe she wasn't. That, I mean, that was the only real presentation of religion. Everything else was media religion, except for her. I know the devil exists too, because I believe in God and whatever. It's just so odd too that it, the women were such a Madonna whore dichotomy, and it was such a a religious film or if not a religious anti-religious because I mean everybody I, I took all those mentions to be like I said like huckster charlatan priests of send me money and all <laughs> or, I, or whatever it was they're advertising on the radio it certainly looks that way I'm thinking now because they subtitled the part we were in another room and yeah, there was something going on on the TV or the radio and it was, it was some, it was something about adultery and somebody suspected their husband or wife or something. Yes. And at first it was like, Oh, it was just a story about adultery that they were telling, but then it got super weird at the end. And I don't remember when the, when the priest oh. or the person gave his advice or his something, it was something really odd that made it seem like, Oh yeah, they're, they're picking on this somehow. I mean, not on yeah. the situation, uh, not on the adultery situation, but on the, the, priest or whoever it was his response was yeah. was meant to be sensational and weird i don't remember what it was that he said now but it was like i don't either but i remember what you're talking about and i agree that that was the implication of that component maybe it was just an exorcism because at first it was like are you being a good wife and then it was is she oh she's the neighbor is she trying is she jealous of what you have and then didn't it turn into some kind of like you need to exercise the demon that's in your Something got weird. Something got weird. I agree. So we've got religion. We've got breaking toxic 
behavior. We got to have living your life with some integrity. That's all good. That, those are all good. And in the process, it was very, it was just really well done. It was immersive. Maybe Laura stood out because the actress was, had such a presence and she was meant to be, like you said, more of a just placeholder character so that somebody was taking care of the kids sometimes. <laughs> Or maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I was just smitten with the actress. I don't know. I thought I, I thought I just thought she had presence. I thought it was funny that you said her acting was so good because I mostly dismissed her. No, I mean, oh, she was she was pretty. Was she was and she was maybe she stood was there smitten. and looked angelic. Well, but she didn't actually like do anything or really express any range of emotion. Really, Stenio was great. I believe Stenio all the time. Really, he he in. Uh, played that role. I liked Odette also. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, Odette was good. She seemed like a bitter, disillusioned housewife. And I would still say it's interesting the parallel you drew at the beginning to Hereditary, because a lot of this interpersonal dynamic that we're talking about, they really did get at in Hereditary. Like, the family wasn't really functional. The son. Nobody talked about what they were actually feeling. Yes. Nobody acknowledged what was actually going on. People used these sort of crappy cover-up emotions. So, you know, the mom was it really wanted... Like, when they were all sitting at dinner that one day, and it's like she really wanted to be respected as a mom or something, and instead she just screams at everybody and tells them she hates them, and it tells the kid it's his fault or something awful, and then the kid is all upset. Nobody's, nobody's getting at those sort of underlying emotions of how they really feel. Everybody's acting on this plane of just the crappy cover-up stuff and you just see that snowball interpersonally throughout the film and gabriel burnt and the father is like lara he does nothing he just is there kind of right he's he's i mean he's completely (laughs) passive in these same ways yeah i agree and i just i have to dump all dump all over mandy a little bit Sorry. I mean, the, the contrast was so striking of this is how you do things that so that something has impact. You vary, you know, silence and dramatic music and you have moments of pause and then you have moments of action and th- things move. The pace varies. <laughs> depending on the urgency of the plot and the story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think we can just about call it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think we can, too. I was really, I was really fairly desperately trying to bring in something more concretely sociological. Ian, that's, that's, that's what I, I was... I'm stalling a little bit for that. We can cut this, but... Not really. I mean, it's like everything is sociological somewhat, but... Yeah. I can't I can't think of any societal influences that really push people to engage in these types of behaviors and cover-ups and things that we're talking about. I mean nothing 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 other than no cuz it, it feels like it feels like mostly interpersonal hurdles. It's unpleasant to have to discuss these things or it's unpleasant to deal with it and so you try to cover it up in a thousand ways and then you end up with like a what was that movie in Vegas that was good? Very bad things. Yes. <laughs> you end up with like that sort of situation happening where it just gets worse and worse and worse and gets yeah. out of control because you wouldn't just deal with the problem in the first place. There ought to be um, a subgenre name for those films. Uh, there probably is. We need to find. The only thing I can think of is there is a fairly classic social constructionist 
article about people who work with the dead and how they construct the body as as the dead body as uh, they detach, they dehumanize it because it, I mean, it is, but they objectify it, I guess. I'll, I'll have to dig that up, but they talk about, so how, how people who work in morgues and mortuaries, uh, do the emotion work of dealing with the dead and being surrounded by death all the time. And that's kind of a stretch because he doesn't <laughs> Actually, follow that. He talks to the people, so, yeah. so but he can't detach and objectify them. The, yeah, so that's all I got, and that's fine. So sometimes the morning after we do these podcasts, I wake up and I'll have a little uh, moment of inspiration of something I wish I had said the night before. And that happened this morning. And at the end of the podcast, Marshall and I were trying to think of a way to tie sociology into the argument that we were making. And we were having a little bit of trouble with it. And this morning, I have an idea and I think it hangs together and it's kind of cool. So the first person that comes into the morgue comes in for some sort of like sports fight, right? He was like fighting over a sports team. The, then you've got a bunch of people who come in for various gang war related reasons. And what I'm thinking is, oh, and you've also got this idea of religion kind of floating around in the background, like we talked about. And I think there was a bit of a message that religion wasn't, religion wasn't the way to solve your problems because it seemed to be presented in a little bit of a disparaging light and maybe in line with all of these characters who are not actually acting on their real emotions and addressing problems really themselves, there may have been a message that putting off that, that impetus for sort of solving your life onto something else is problematic. But if you tie all those ideas together, I think you can get something that ties into Marx's idea of false consciousness. And as best I remember, Mar Marx's idea of false consciousness is this idea that in a capitalist society, in order to keep the society running and keep people, basically to keep people oppressed by the capitalists, right? And I'm not necessarily saying this movie was about capitalism, that in order for that to happen, people need to be oppressed and then also not rise up. And so in order to stop people from rising up, it's helpful to have them have other things for them to care about, such that they're distracted by things that don't really matter so much in terms of affecting their actual life, but they think they matter and they focus on them as though they matter. And so they don't end up actually taking the actions that they could take that might change their real life circumstances and stop them from being oppressed. And so in this case, you have a lot of that going on, right? Because you've got people, the first person who comes in dies because he cares about a sporting event, right? He gets like all invested, which is certainly something that would fall under that idea of a societal construct that's there to like, instead of, instead of using whatever emotion sports takes up, which would be, you know, wanting to be proud of your team and wanting to take action and fight for something. And, you know, instead of doing that, you sit back and you just watch another group of people run around and do something that essentially has no impact on your life. And in terms of capitalism also contributes to like capitalist society because you can make a ton of money off of it, which I'm sure is like a side bonus. So you get all invested in this and you take all that emotion that that emotions in you because it's meant to help you drive your life. But instead of actually driving your life with it, you put it on this sports team. And like I said, in the case of the argument about capitalism, then you just give a bunch of money and a bunch of energy and whatever over to producing money for the capitalists. And it keeps you appeased because those emotions that you have get like trapped in something that doesn't actually matter. And so you don't actually use them to drive your life. And I think there's also been an argument like that around gang wars, this idea that 
that people get wrapped up in that because they're in such an oppressed circumstance and it becomes the only way to like to take action on your life or to gain status in an area of society where there isn't a lot of opportunity and where you you have again those same sort of human emotions that tell you you want to achieve something and you want to you know have pride and you want to work for your life to be better but because there aren't opportunities to do that people end up in the situation where it just it ends up you end up with a bunch of violence and a bunch of people trying to enact power that way and that i know there's a sociological argument around that certainly that says that that sort of basically the people in that circumstance like people involved in a gang war are taking out this aggression or seeking pride or seeking status not against the people that they should be which are those that are keeping them oppressed but against sort of fellow people like them um, and that that works for a capitalist society because you can keep then a whole group of people oppressed without having them actually rise up and realize that they shouldn't be fighting each other they should be fighting you and religion ties into that also because as marx said right the opiate of the masses this idea that religion there is an idea right that religion can be there put off again, whatever emotions or drive you would have to fix your own life, you take that impetus off yourself and you put it on something else. And you also have this idea that, okay, when when I die, that's when I'm really going to experience a good life or the right life or everything's going to be made up for then. So it takes away some of the idea that you need to take care of that in your life now, um, which also is something that then potentially from the idea of false consciousness, right, keeps you from realizing the actions you should be taking or could be taking to actually really make your life better. Um, and instead, you're kind of spinning around focusing on all this stuff you shouldn't be focusing on. So I think there's something, there's something there in the fact that everybody that we, I think everybody that we saw who came into the morgue had some sort of like fake, I would say fake reason for being there, but kind of, it was, it was a shame because they were involved in something that was just, like displaced emotion, just like all of the people acting in the movie, you know, all of the the main characters who also had these emotions and, and things that they should have, I say should, but that they, you know, could have certainly dealt with much differently if they had actually taken action and addressed themselves. And instead they didn't, they kind of put those emotions in the wrong place or they, they were taken away by these maybe like false perceptions of what they really felt instead of feeling love and feeling hurt because they felt love and acknowledging that and acting on that, they just felt anger in a way that wasn't even right and completely backfired in terms of like, um, you know, accomplishing what that underlying real emotion of love would have wanted to be accomplished. So that's what I got. That's my potential sociology moment. One, I'll just throw in one tiny little thing. You don't even Please. have to keep this, but I thought it was kind of cool. Um, it was a really neat scene when uh, Lara comes back to life. And so when she's talking to him, just like he talks to every other dead person, and then she sits up and then yeah. the other guy responds. And that was really effective. Like, wait, what, what, what's going on? Somebody, he, he can talk to them. And then you realize that she was actually alive, that that like, that's what broke the world that they had created like they had created that world so effectively that I was so just bought into that's how it is that that was really striking and all it was was some person just saying a matter-of-fact thing and it was really jarring and I just I think they did that very well yeah that was absolutely great there were a lot of beautiful shots the foreground shot early on of the just the top half of the face of the dead of the cadaver it was very early on was I thought really really pretty his his nightmare sequence 
when he, I think it was when he dug up the grave and was hit in the head and he had this, I, I thought that was great and surreal and very like evoked Jacob's Ladder for me, which is a very high compliment in my world. There, there, uh, there was a lot of just thoroughly, it was just so well done. And I, yeah, those, those pieces were just, were, were excellent. They were great. Well, okay. So take home point. It was very good. Yeah. We found some things we might like to have done a little differently, specifically Laura's character and having some kind of counterpoint to potentially what the message was, which was all these other people behaving differently. But even so, it was it was beautiful. It was well done. It was unique. Yeah, and if it was something about breaking the cycle of toxic behavior, it might have been... Did we have anything from the kids that demonstrated that maybe they were... There was change. I'm going to say no, because at the end, the little boy was just screaming like, dad, dad, like he, if anything, I felt like it was from the parents' perspective of like, you're losing this, like your kids still want you. They still, you had a potential to have this be something different and you have to walk away because you. So again, there's no prescriptive. Yeah. As you put it. Yeah. He did look out for his sister, you know. He pulled her out of the oven, and so he was trying to do the right thing, I think. No, apparently he was getting in trouble elsewhere. Well, good. Yeah, it was. It was just great to see a nice. It was great to see a really good, well done movie. It's interesting to see something from a different. It's always interesting to see something from a different country. And earlier, you said Brazil, but was wasn't it Portugal? Well, it's Portuguese. Oh, oh, oh. But it's. I mean, Brazil speaks Portuguese. Country of origins, Brazil. Oh, okay. I just have to say, yeah, some people, we've got to, so, for those of you out there who are in positions of introducing movies, we would love it if someone or folks could start figuring out how to do, somehow introduce movies without spoilers or expectations or reveals about the film. There's got to be a way to do that. Yeah. But we do very much appreciate that this happened and that this was here. I was glad I got to see this in a theater. And if you are in the theater and you're now listening, we very much appreciate you checking it out. It is, as we said, October is here and we have our schedules as full as we possibly can to see and do as many episodes as we can. We've got... But, you know, tune in, I guess, is what we're saying, because we have a, a trivia night. We're going to try and do a kind of a live episode. We may do a live episode with students. Um, that would be about Carrie. Our trivia night thing is going to be Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's classic that that is um, that was my first my first real shift to fully appreciating horror or starting to appreciate horror's potential for sociology commentary. And that's October 23rd at Veteran Brothers Brewing up in Johnstown, starting at 6.30. So you can head on up and join us for trivia. There we go. And go out and see movies. This is a wonderful time of year to see films. If whatever's in your area, theaters will put on, you know, horror classics or 
just older movies and re-show them or restorations or whatever it is. And so it's a great time to see, see horror films and, and, um, and hopefully you'll listen to us for a little bit of commentary on, on those films. (laughs) (laughs) Take me home. Let's go to bed. Uh, Well, all right. Uh, Instagram's at Collective Nightmares. I'm Marshall. I'm Laura. This is the Collective Nightmares podcast and horror films are our collective nightmares. actually had no weirdness <laughs> yeah, yeah. tonight <coughs> no random yeah right we barely had even cars drive by which was <laughs> great i was expecting like a water balloon fight <laughs> yeah, right. or you know just something <laughs> right uh is this which one's yours like a rabbit dog <laughs> <laughs> right something horrific right Clown it wouldn't just be rabbit sewer. dogs it'd be doing something <laughs> i don't know what is there any sewers on the street but yeah um Ha, ha, ha.